incredible part about it, that we're willing and open. I, you know, I, I used to go to church when I, when I was a little boy. I had to go to a, a denominational church, and my, uh, my parents may or may not have been saved. I don't think they were. In fact, I'm convinced they weren't. And they made me go to church. And it was boring. Does anybody remember boring church? Uh, hope you're not talking about today. Okay. <laughs> but it was boring, man. I mean, the pastor got up and said, you know, call the paramedics. There, some guy died. And they carried three people out to figure out which one was dead. Okay. So it was boring. And you want it to be alive, and you want it to be full of hope, and yet you want it to have spiritual value. Because we live in a world that's out of control, and it has nothing to look forward to. Think about that. If you're not a Christian, there's nothing to look forward to. But once you're born again, you find hope, and you find courage, and you find faith, and you find it all right here in God's Word. Amen? So hold your Bibles up. Say this with me out loud. This is my Bible. It's the living Word of God. has the power to change lives. And I declare by faith that my life and the life of those around me will be changed by the Word. All right. Go to 1 Corinthians and go into a holding pattern. Um, today we're going to deal with step two. We, um, we're, we're living in a, in a volatile world, obviously. Volatile times, you never know exactly what's going to happen. And last Sunday we dealt with, I dealt with getting our R's together. If you were with us, R's as in letter R, and getting our religion into relationships. And we talked about any religion or belief system that doesn't produce relationships of genuine value for the people, for other people. It's not a relationship if the people that you consider yourself in a relationship are always taking care of you and you're never taking care of them. So we talked about getting our R's together, religion with a relationship. And so that's what Christianity is about. And translating and sharing our beliefs into relationships. If it's one thing to believe something, it's another thing to be able to have a relationship with people that don't believe what you believe, so you can show them what you believe, so that they can end up believing what you believe because you want a relationship in them. And so in the process, relationships is how you build and encourage and show your faith in who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And Translating and sharing our faith in the relationships. That's the bottom line. So how we view and treat others through God's view of others. Not our view of others or others' view of others, but God's view of others. How we treat people and how we show respect to people and how we don't let people think we're, we're different than they are even though we might walk up to somebody of a, a different faith, a different belief system, a different culture, a different background, different ethnicity. It's how are we relational with people. That's the bottom line, because that's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a religion. Listen to what I'm going to say. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Because without a relationship, you're not expressing Jesus because Jesus was relational with everybody, even those who hated him. 
until in the process, we're living in openly volatile times. It's obvious life is more volatile than it's ever been in America, and uh, it's volatile, and people are openly displaying their volatility, their anger, their bitterness, their resentment. People are assaulting people and attacking people and destroying things and destroying cities. They're rioting, obviously. And the rioting isn't going to stop anytime soon, and I really, really hope I'm wrong. But in the process, no matter what the world does, it doesn't change what we do. No matter how mean, how volatile the world was with Jesus, it didn't change who he was. And we'll never live life as Jesus did, but we'll follow his pattern. We'll never do it as good as he did. And so we understand that how we share our beliefs with other people is effective only through relationships. It's not enough to stand, don't get me wrong, now, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not opposed to anybody who stands on a street corner with a sign about Jesus. I'm not opposed to that at all. That can have make a difference. God can use anything. Do you agree? He even used, read the Bible, he used a donkey. He used a talking donkey. I've, I've never seen, well, I've seen people make an effort to be one, but, but you get my point. And so, so God is ready and willing to move through anybody that's willing to demonstrate the kingdom. Because the, the, the kingdom of God is not just in word, but it's in deed. If what we say we can't back up with a personal demonstration, then how real is it? And why should the world even pay attention to us? Unless we can do the things we say that we believe. And so demonstrating our beliefs and our values in, in, in this world without verbal assault, verbally assaulting people or physically threatening people, because the only reason people share their values and their beliefs with volatility, volatility is anger and bitterness and resentment because they don't have enough faith in what they actually believe to be actually true. Can I say that again or do I need to? When you have to be violent and mean and angry and and pushy about what you believe, you don't really believe it. Because if you really believed it, you could believe your word was good enough. Does that make sense? And people will say, well, okay, if that's what you believe, then the way you back up what you say you believe is you live it. Isn't that right? In other words, if we, if we say we believe something and we don't live it, then we don't really believe it. And why should anybody else pay attention to it? So religion's only hope, religions of the world, their only hope, and the belief system, what's going on in the world right now, is, and it's a religion if you believe something and you decide everybody else should believe it with you, that in the process, the world's demonstrating because it feels threatened. The world hates Christianity, and, and they, they can't even tell you why. If you ask somebody who demonstrates against Christianity and hates Christianity, when you ask them why, they'll, ne they'll never give you the same answer because they really don't know. Because their hate of truth is the fact that they don't love truth. 
And so it contradicts who they are and what they are. And so religion's only hope is to demonstrate violently against people who say, we believe the Bible and we believe in love. And we believe in a relationship with people. And we, be in we, we believe in being kind and caring and loving. And that's how we demonstrate what we believe. And if we can't demonstrate what we believe with a genuineness that shows people we really do care, even when they hate us for telling them what we believe. Are you with me so far? Did I get three of you and the rest of you? <laughs> In other words, when you do what you believe and people hate you for what you believe, you're actually being effective. And so in the process, we understand that the, the world threatens violence against Christianity, and uh, they, they threaten that violence simply because they don't know what else to do with us. That, you know, the, any other religion, everybody's happy with it. Any religion they want. But the minute the name Christian or Christ-like comes up, the challenge is to us as believers all born-again believers, is to be relational with people even when they hate you. Does that make sense? It's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Somebody's mean to you, somebody's rude to you, what's your natural thing? Somebody pulls out in front of you in traffic? You hopefully don't flip on the international sign for... Okay, so, so we understand that in the process, Christianity is a belief system of faith and faith in love. If you don't have faith in love and caring for other people, so demonstrations of hate, that's what they do. They, they burn, you know, they, they burn cities and they destroy stores and they, they rob and they steal and they do whatever they want to do because... They don't have enough faith in what they actually believe that they can persuade us. And that means you're a threat. And it's important that you understand that. Think now about how we demonstrate what we believe. How we show others that we believe not only in Jesus, but we believe in them. No matter how mean, how vile, how rude or how crude they are. They deserve the same Jesus we received when we didn't deserve it. Do I need to say that again? That they deserve to see, feel, and hear the message of the gospel of Jesus that can transcend, pass through, and deal with their hatred. Because if you hate back, You've missed the purpose. And I know you don't, but now think with me in the, the, the spirit of the world's opinion and uh, how the world displays and demonstrates itself. It, they hate the church. They don't know what else to do with us. You're a pain in their heart. Thank you. Okay, so that's what, but you want to be a pain. You are a pain. And the more you love them, the more you hurt them. 
And the more you're kind to them, the more you distrust them. Gee, thanks for giving me an encouraging word today. But you understand in the process, we demonstrate the gospel. While they demonstrate what they believe, and they burn towns, destroy stores, steal, rob, kill, and threaten, we demonstrate in another way. And it's not passivity. It is not um, fear-based, fear, fear you know, we don't want to, you know, we're going to be nice because we don't want you to not like us. Because I guarantee you, the nicer you are, the more they hate you. Try this side. The nicer you are, the more they're going to hate you. You're getting quiet today, okay? That's okay. It'll get worse before it gets better. Okay. So, so we understand that in the Scriptures, I want you to go to the Gospel of, I'm sorry, the Book of Acts, Chapter 9. Go to the Book of Acts today. And um, open displays and opinions of what we believe in the lives of others. Saul was a religious man. Saul, and we're going to read about him here in a minute, was a Pharisee. He was of the highest ranking of religious people in the culture in Jesus' time. And uh, he knew the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament, and it was clear to him. And uh, he felt threatened by Christian, Christians and Christianity. He felt threatened just like the world does. He was threatened because the Christians wouldn't bow to his threats. Are you with me? In other words, when the world, when, when, when he threatened Christians, Christians wouldn't threaten back. And when that happens, they don't know what to do with us. So the only thing left is kill you. And so here's Paul, one of the chief religious leaders of that day who hated Christians, and he's about to see the demonstration of the kingdom. And in Acts chapter 9, listen to what's happening now. Paul is a, is a like I said, a religious leader, and uh, he hated Christians. So let's pick it up in Acts chapter 9 in your Bible, verse 1, follow along. And Saul, that's the religious guy that persecutes people and kills them, yet uh, beating out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest. In other words, here's a guy that's been killing Christians. Verse 2, And he desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that if they found any of this way, now, that term, of this way, is the original name given to Christians. Christians were not until later on towards the third century, and sometimes in the region of Antioch. So here, Christians are called the people of the way. In other words, a different way of life. Now, watch what happens. Whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem, and as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. Hmm. Okay. Verse 4, And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Listen to what happens. And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks in your heart. 
the goadings. You're struggling. Now listen to what's happening. Here's the chief persecutor of Christians. Nothing's changed for over 2,000 years. People who persecute Christians fall in this category. Watch what happens. It's hard for you to kick against the goads, the pricking, the nudgings in your heart. Because every time the, we as Christians respond, not react to people who hate Christianity and want nothing to do with us, listen to me, no matter how much they hate you, something's poking them in the heart. And even when you share your faith and share your love and act like in a Christ-like manner and people hate you for, for it, the reason they hate you is you're hurting them. Not in a bad way, but you're hurting them in a good way. You're, 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 you're getting to them. You're poking them in the heart, and they don't know what to do with you. Now watch what happens. Verse 5, And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for you to kick against the prickings or the goadings. And he, th uh, and he trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what would you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Rise and go to the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. And the men which thou journeyest with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, and didn't know what to do. Now, what happens to Paul, if you saw, if you read that, later on he's Paul. This is the same guy that's going to end up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. This is a guy who is killing Christians who will end up writing two-thirds of your New Testament Bible because he has an encounter with Jesus that completely turns his life upside down. As a matter of fact, it turns him inside out. And so it's important. It says, verse 8, And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes, uh, uh, and his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but he, they led him away and brought him unto Damascus. So what happens is he has an encounter with Jesus, and he's blind. He can't see. So he's like, wait a minute. What, what just happened? Get this. You're healthy. You're, everything's going. You're in charge. Life's, and next thing you know, just like that, you have a conversation with Jesus and you can't see. I think that's pretty convincing, don't you think? But what Jesus is doing is he's getting ready to create someone who's going to demonstrate the gospel and be flipped from hate of Christians to understanding what Christianity is really about. And so what he does is he's taken down to a street called Straight, and then there's this guy by the name of Philip. Now, here he is, Saul, the chief persecutor. All Christians, all, uh, they hate him, and they're afraid of him. They take Paul blind, walk him down to a street called Straight, and the same Holy Ghost goes to a guy by the name of, uh, of Philip, and he says, um, hey, listen, I want you to go down the street called Straight. Now, wait a minute. Isn't that where they just took Saul? You, you want me to go down that street where that guy is? And he's the guy that's killing all the Christians? How many of you <laughs> would be willing to walk the other direction, right? And he goes down the street called Straight, and he prays for Saul, and Saul receives his sight. I believe that the 
body of Christ today, the church in America is getting ready to move in a supernatural zone. And the supernatural zone, that time of miracles, the time where words are powerful. They're no longer philosophy. They're no longer ideals. They're no longer opinions. They're values of the heart where we treat people with respect and love even when they hate us and even when they put us down. Because I don't think the situation in the world is going to get a whole lot better right now. And so here we are. We're in the process of a demonstration of showing people how to love, showing people how to feel respect. Um, but you've got to demonstrate it. You've got to put it on the line. Let me give you an example. Um, years ago, um, a good friend, personal friend, was a doctor here in the church. And um, he's a previous board member. Some of you will remember him. And um, I looked up on a, on, a, on a Sunday morning, and I looked up on a Sunday morning on Easter. And here's this guy who's one of the premier doctors in town, and he is a world-class heathen. Y'all know what a heathen is? Okay. You, you name it, he did it. And I look up in the middle of an altar call, and some here on the right side, I look up, and you know how I always do altar calls. I always say to people, listen, if you, if you want to respond, every head bow, every eye closed, okay, if you want to respond to Jesus, look up and look at me. So I said, okay, everybody's head bowed, every eye closed. We're in the old building. We saw the building. And I look around the room, and I, I look at this guy and go, that's Dr. So-and-so. And so I just looked at him and went, um, I, I totally forgot I was in the middle of an altar call. <laughs> I'm like dumbfounded. It's like I wanted to say, dude, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know? And, and, and I looked at him and I said, are you looking at me because you, you want to give your life to Jesus? I'm thinking, we have one of the consummate heathens in town. Okay, this is, I said, are you that, what? And finally he goes, yes. <laughs> and you know what? Got gloriously saved. Now, the reason I bring that up is down the road and we rock climbed together and, you know, we were both pilots and we flew and did all that kind of stuff together. I became a very, very, very good friend. And he had an idea one day that, he, he had an idea to create an item that would dry the inside of someone's ears after they got out of a swimming pool or a shower. And sometimes it's hard for people when, you know, and if you'll know, I, you know this, I'm not ashamed of it, I wore hearing aids. I wore hearing aids at the time. And uh, he recognized that when someone gets water inside their ear, sometimes it's hard to get it out, and it can cause a lot of trouble. Well, he, he came up with this idea for a device that would dry the inside of an ear. And what he, would, what, what he did was he got this little situation together, and he created this thing, and he goes, now listen, you wear hearing aids, right? And he said, you're always complaining about moisture in your ears because of your hearing aids. And you always complain about when you get out of a pool, out of a shower, you always have water inside your ears, right? 
So he shows me this device, and he says, I want to use you as a demonstration. And I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, what kind of demonstration? He says, I can't tell you. If I tell you, I have two engineers, a doctor, and a designer lined up, and we're going to fly into Orange County, and we're going to sit down, and we're going to demonstrate this device. Remember, we're talking about demonstration. And he says, what we're going to do is, I can't show it to you, because I'm sitting with all these people, and they, they're the ones that are going to release funding towards this. They're going to influence this. And if they don't go with this, it's pretty much dead in the water. Why do you put a lot of time and a lot of money into this? Hang on with me. So I'm sitting down across the table with engineers and doctors, whatever it is, all the people gathered together, designers. And he has this device laying out in pieces. And he goes, aim your head sideways. And he pours water down my ear. And I said, what are you going to do? And he goes, just be a good boy. <laughs> okay. And they're all looking, and they're all kind of skeptical. You could tell ahead of time. They have the power to make or break something. And so he pours the water in, and then he says, get it out the best you can. Do you still feel water? Yes. And he has this device in pieces. I'd never seen it before. In pieces. And he puts this thing in my ear. And it heats up. And it dried my ear. And I went, wow, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. You know? And the engineer's looking at it. And the doctor's looking at it. And I'm looking at it. You know? And they're thinking this is a setup. So he says... Which one of you wants to try it? And he demonstrated, and I watched this engineer who volunteered. He's got his head on the side, and he's pouring water down his ear. He's got this look like, yeah, right, this is going to work. Because you have to recognize that you're pushing heat into an ear, a very sensitive area. And so amazingly, I see the skepticism on, on the engineer's face. And he flips the device on like he did with me. And uh, it blows for a few minutes. And the concern was that it would be too loud. And the engineer says, hmm, that feels pretty good. Well, when it was all said and done, it was a demonstration. I watched four professionals go from completely negative to like that. All of a sudden, the temperature and the environment in the room went from, eh, to, wow, this really has potential. Now, that's a long example, but it's the same way with the gospel. If we just tell people about something and we don't let them experience it, they're not going to be convinced. I watched four professionals instantly change their mind. I mean, I, I looked at the doctor, and the doctor said to the engineer, are, are you serious? The engineer was the greatest doubter. The doctor that I was with figured out which one doubted the most. 
and took that one. And that device actually was so successful, it turned into a prototype. Let me show maybe show this prototype picture. It, it originally, that, that's, the, that's the actual design of the device. You opened it, you put it in the ear, it dried the ear. The, matter of fact, Pastor Susan is the one that came up with the, the label, the name for this. It was called Sahara Dry Ear. Now, here's the problem. Unfortunately, that doctor passed away before it could really actually be produced and sent out into the market. Now somebody else is doing it. The point is this. Can you and I be willing to risk what we actually believe in to demonstrate it in the lives of other people so that they walk away doing the same thing the engineer, the doctor, and everybody else did? Because the demonstration of the gospel is how we love people. You know, we can go to church and we can learn all of our good Bible verses and we can learn all the Old Testament stories and we can get all the doctrine. We can get all the theology down in the world, but it's not going to change lives. What changes lives is you treat people with respect and you let them feel the demonstration of the gospel. You let them experience and it's exactly the same way you got saved. You became born again because someone touched you with an experiment, with an effort to get to you to show you something that it actually works. And that's what the message of the gospel is about. And yet, throughout Christianity, the biggest problem we have is that everything about Christianity is from here up. It's how much we know it's not how much we know, it's how much we're willing to experience. It's not enough that you go to church. Will you go to heaven? I don't know. That's between you and Jesus. That's not my job. That's way above my grade. But I can say this to you and I. While the world is demonstrating with violence, it can never stand against the demonstration of love. It can never stand against it. It can never, the world cannot handle the church when the church acts like Jesus and does what Jesus said. And the demonstration of the truth and the demonstration of the gospel is how we show other people. Other, in other words, what's the point of why we came here today? And the point is, is that we, we, we you know, Paul said, that Paul later would say, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. It's not what I say, it's what I do. Because if what I say can't be backed up with what I do, and how we demonstrate our love, because I believe, I, I'm, you know, I'm just going to tell you how I believe, and you don't have to believe that way. Say amen. amen. I don't believe this is going to get any better. You can, put all, you can put all your confidence. Now, I'm gonna, don't send me any letters because I won't read them. Okay? Donald Trump is not the savior of America. Don't you dare go political on me because there ain't nobody else in politics that can save America. The only thing that's going to turn our world around is Christians demonstrating their faith and their beliefs in the hearts and minds of people in the streets.
That's the only thing that's going to change us. And, and as we embrace that, while the world's going to get worse and going to get harder, and people are going to say, well, what happens if it doesn't? Well, I will personally apologize, even though I didn't have anything to do with it, okay? But you understand that how we treat other people, how you and I go out of here, how you, you're going to go to restaurants this afternoon and, and uh, you know, how you treat waiters and waitresses, how we treat people in the service industry, how we treat our fellow workers, how we, how we treat people that are living behind dumpsters. If we can treat people we like and are very good friends, if we can treat them with the respect, we can't show somebody who's living behind a dumpster. Something's wrong with what we believe. And yet, and yet, for all of that, you got to remember that there was a guy by the name of Philip who was told to go down the street called Straight and go see the guy that was killing Christians and go, go in and pray for him. And in the process, as we finish up here this morning, because I have four minutes and I'm going to use eight of them, where are you at in your faith? And have you come out of Christianity that is only cerebral? Has your faith moved 18 inches to your heart to the point that you can look at those who hate you? And remember, you will never be Jesus. But Jesus left the example that even those who crucified him at the last minute, what did they say? Surely, this must have been the Son of God. Why? Because he never reviled, he never attacked, he never assaulted, he never went against. Your and my defense is only one word, love. And a lot of people, as we finish this morning, wonder why, 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 why are we so willing to be overt? And by the way, uh, you know, since I said Donald Trump's not our Savior, and everybody said, and the rest of you said, Amen. I know, I you know that they're probably going to take this off because I mentioned his name, okay? Of course, I didn't mention that, you know, Biden's not Lucifer either. So who are you following? And what do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is in fact the Son of God, the Savior of the world, that he came into this world and died willingly and openly without reviling or hating anyone? Do you believe that he's your Lord and Savior? Let me finish with this. Simple way to figure it out. You want a demonstration? I'm not going to pour water in your ear. I'm going to pour love on your heart so you know where you're going when you die. Let's say you've heard me say this before. The 
plane leaves the March Air Force Base. Banks and turns east and headed out over this building. We all know where March Air Force Base is. All four engines shut down. The plane is in a glide slope. They're trying to fire them up and they can't get them going. And that plane is headed right for this building. And in just about 120 seconds, you know where you're going if that happens. Because if you don't know where you're going, you know about Jesus, but you haven't met him personally. You don't know him personally as Lord and Savior. And that's not a condemnation. That's just a reality. If you don't know where you're going when you die, your understanding of God is from here up. And God won't do it. It needs to be here. You need to be born again, Jesus said. Accept me as your Lord and Savior. Believe, Jesus said, that I died on the cross for your sins. That there's nothing you can do to keep me, Jesus says, from loving you. There's nothing that you've ever done in your life that I can't forgive and haven't already. It's just you have to accept that. He's not going to die again. He's already done it. The question is, do you believe that he's your Lord and Savior and have you invited him in and asked him to give you the hope of eternal life? Would you bow your heads? Pray, saints, pray. I want to ask you this simple question. With every head bowed, please, and every eye closed. I'm going to come down your aisle, and if you don't know for sure, and you want to know for sure, and you simply look up, I want to come over here right now. And if you don't know for sure, I, I didn't ask you if you go to church. I just asked you, do you know where you're going? Are you living? You, you are. God bless you. Thank you. Over here. If you don't know and I can't see you and I'm not looking at you, then wave your hand at me over here at me. Pray, saints, pray. Eternal life is coming to people right now. If, if I, I don't see you, you wave your hand at me over here on this side. See one? Got it. God bless you. Thank you, man. Over here. Yes. Is that what you want, son? God bless you. Over here. Ma'am, is that what you want? God bless you, ma'am. Is that what you want? Okay. I'm going to come across one more time. Please start praying. There's somebody else. There's somebody else. You're holding out. You're holding out. Don't miss this chance. Don't miss this opportunity. God so loved you that he gave Jesus for you. Wave your hand at me if I don't see who you are. There's one more person. There's one more person. Who's struggling with this? I'm going to give it to the count of three. One, and then I won't push you anymore. That's between you and Jesus. This is not, a, this is not an order instruction. You have to make a choice. Two, three. Okay, church, would you look up? How many did looked up? Three? Three or four? 
Okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this prayer. If you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, let's pray this. Repeat after me. Father, in Jesus' name, I confess Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want a relationship with God, my Heavenly Father, and I declare by faith, Jesus died for me. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I'm born again. Welcome to the family of God. Now, um, you raising your hand for that? Okay, well, I'll answer that in just a moment. Um, but um, I completely forgot what I was doing. Okay, here's what we're going to do. If you looked up, now, I'm going to give you a verse. Media, I don't know if you're ready for this verse or not. Jesus said this, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my heavenly Father. If you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my Father. In other words, you can't be ashamed of your decision. If you made that decision, you looked up, I pointed at you, you said that's me, and you prayed that prayer, and you did it for the first time, then you stand up. You look at me. I'm not going to point you out. You're going to have to be courageous enough and bold enough. God bless you. God bless you. There's one more. I'm going to give you to the count of three. One. Two. There you go. Okay, now, here's the deal. You're not a number in a hat. God sees you. He knows every cell in your body. He knows every thought in your mind, every act, every deed you've ever committed or ever will committed, and he loves you with a love that will last through eternity, and we welcome you to the family of God. Amen? Would you stand? Woo! I think we just had church. Okay? All right. Get a hold of somebody. Grab a hoof, a paw, or a claw. <laughs> Heavenly Fathers, we go today. We're going to walk into a world that's full of violence, but we're not going to go their way. All we ask, Holy Spirit, is you give us the strength to live a relationship with you and with Jesus that will show other people the way of eternal life. We thank you in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.